This morning we're continuing our series called Following Jesus, His Life and Teaching. And as a part of this series, each week I'm providing an opportunity for you to be a participant uh, in the series by using a handout that you should have uh, just received that gives you the upcoming Sunday's text for you to read during the week and to consider and reflect on. And I, I've heard good reports from numerous ones, and uh, it's always fun to hear uh, that. And then I've got a community group where we have been meeting together, and I get to hear what others have been getting. Very, very exciting, helpful, encouraging to me personally thinking, gosh, I didn't get that out of the text, but now that's amazing. Anyway, um, last week our text from Luke 4, uh, Jesus teaching at Nazareth, highlighted the role of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus, as, as well as Jesus stating a kind of personal mission statement that I want to uh, quote again, as I believe it flows directly into what we are going to be looking at this morning. Uh, Jesus gave this statement, uh, quoting from the book of Isaiah, as his personal mission statement. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In this week's text, we essentially get to see him doing that and to see what that actually looked like as we talk about Jesus and the kingdom of God. From Matthew 4, 23 through 25, Jesus went through Galilee in the power of the Spirit, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain and the demonized, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed all of them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed him. So each week I've been inviting uh, an opportunity, providing an opportunity if someone has interest to share something that they uh, kind of got out of the text this week, something that maybe was highlighted to you in a particular way that was meaningful. And uh, so far, we've been able to have a volunteer uh, each week. Anybody uh, would like to share? Okay, so I've got a backup plan. Okay, this wasn't, unfortunately, from this particular text. It was from a, a book I was reading, but it is about the life of Jesus. Uh, during Passion Week, when um, Peter denied Jesus, Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him, and then he actually does deny him. Sorry, I'm not going to stand in front of that and make it make funny noises. Um <coughs> And the author's perspective was that when Peter has denied Jesus the third time and then he makes eye contact with Jesus and realizes, oh, this is what Jesus said was going to happen, and he begins to weep. The text says that Peter began to weep. 
And the author said, I, I don't think Peter was weeping because he was like, oh, man, I let Jesus down, or I don't really love Jesus that much. He realized that he loved himself and his own life more than he loved Jesus. And he was denying Jesus because he was not willing to lay down his life in that moment by being connected with somebody. Um, and so his love for self was still greater than his love for Jesus. And later in his life, we know that Peter went on to be martyred. So we know that eventually he loved Jesus more than he loved his own life. And it just really hit home to me thinking, I, I'm not there yet either. I still love self more than I love Jesus. And that's a point where Jesus is inviting each of us into transformation is to love part of ourself a little less and love him more and let his love fill us up a little bit more. So I was sharing this with my dad this morning, and I said, it's not from the text. And he said, well, but it's kind of related to what I'm talking about. So there you go. It's really exactly what I'm going to be talking about. Before I head there, though, let's pray. Papa, Jesus, Spirit, we sang so clearly, declaring to you our need of you. And in many of our more um, aware moments, we get that really well. But then there's those other times when we're just sort of careless, I think, not really necessarily intentionally trying to lead you out, but we just forget. And we live life as best we can on our own. So I ask that as we share and talk this morning about how Jesus lived his life, that we can get and become more aware and find ourselves in a greater position to experience life with you, to have you acting with us in all that we do. Would you... Open our ears, open our eyes to hear and see what you are saying today. Uh, might I decrease and you increase for your glory and in Jesus' name. Let it be so. In this uh, passage this morning, Matthew is essentially summarizing the ministry of Jesus, particularly in that uh, time frame there in Galilee. And we'll duplicate a similar summarization later, just before chapter 10, at the end of chapter 9. It says it slightly differently. But he highlights two things, two areas of ministry. The, the first is Jesus speaking about the good news of the kingdom. Teaching, proclaiming, speaking about the good news. And then the text highlights this healing ministry which was, in essence, a demonstration of the very thing he had just spoken about. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Mark summarizes Jesus' spoken message as this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Repent and believe in the good news. In vernacular of today, Jesus was saying something like, Hey, everybody! I got great news. The time has come and something awesome is now available. 
And that is the presence and the availability of life in the kingdom of God. So rethink your thinking and how you've been living and come on in. I said uh, a couple of months ago, teaching a little bit about the kingdom, I said a kingdom refers to a country or territory or realm ruled by a king or queen. Uh, It's where the monarch has say or rule or dominion. It's essentially the same area. It is what, where, what the monarch wants done is done. Similarly, the kingdom of God as described by Jesus is the realm where God rules, where what God wants done is done. And similarly, every human being has a kingdom over which they rule and where what they want done is done. And I've used the illustration in the past that a a woman's purse or a man's wallet or a person's backpack or car or apartment or home are, are the things that are a part of a person's kingdom where they rule, where what they want done is done. I want you to notice that in in Matthew's summary of Jesus' ministry, Jesus not only spoke about God's kingdom being present, but through his actions, he demonstrated the active reality of the presence of God's kingdom there, then, there and then. Now, think with me for a minute, because at some level, The era that Jesus was living in isn't, in some ways, very different than our own. There are kingdoms, there are countries, there are states and governments and local governments. Um, God's kingdom is where what God wants done. Even though Jesus was operating in the world within both the Roman and Jewish kingdoms or realms, through his actions, he went beyond that realm and God's realm, his kingdom, what God wanted done was done. And that's what we see in this text. We think about that declaration about the kingdom being present and then the activities of Jesus of of healing all who were hurting and harmed, broken, sick. So what was it that God wanted done that got done through Jesus? People were instructed. They were taught about God and his kingdom. All who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, those having seizures, the paralyzed, they were healed. The demonized were set free. And then in other contexts and other aspects of the Gospels, we see other kinds of things that Jesus did that we can infer that Jesus that those were things that the Father wanted done. Jesus forgives people's sins. Outcast and the marginalized were accepted and included. People were raised from the dead. Food was multiplied. Jesus had power over nature, storms and fish, a fig tree. And others were trained by Jesus to do the same thing he was doing. 
everywhere Jesus went, he demonstrated the active presence and reality of God's love of rule, God's rule of love, healing, and wholeness. That is what God wanted done then, and it is still what God wants done. What we see in who Jesus was and how he lived is how God desires and intends us all to be. But how do we get there? What, what are the means for us to become like Jesus in all things? And I'd like to discuss two things this morning that I think could help us to think about even as we reflect on Jesus' own life. In our church narrative, we say Vineyard Church of San Antonio is part of the great family of God seeking to become like Jesus in all things through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus lived his life in a synergistic, cooperative way with the Holy Spirit, so we too are to live in such a synergistic, cooperative way with the Holy Spirit. I want to remind us that in addition to baptism with water administered through John the Baptist, Jesus was also baptized in the Holy Spirit, administered by God the Father, sending the Spirit upon him. In the book of Acts, Jesus speaks to his disciples prior to his ascension about the importance of their receiving the promise of the Father. Listen to these words from Acts 1. While staying with them, Jesus ordered the disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the baptism of the Spirit was very similar to that of Jesus, that which the disciples experienced. With Jesus, the Spirit was described as descending from the sky like a dove and resting or remaining on him. The baptism of the Spirit for the first disciples was described as being like the sound of a rush of violent wind coming from the sky and tongues as of fire appearing and resting, remaining on each of them. Here's what Acts 2 says. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly from heaven, from the atmosphere, the area immediately around them, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Sounds pretty noisy. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested, remained on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other languages, and the Spirit, as the Spirit gave them ability. Just as Jesus and his disciples needed the baptism and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to live just as Jesus needed it and they needed it to live their lives, to battle temptation, to respond to critics, to love others, to preach, to teach, to heal, to raise the dead, to face the circumstances and trials of their lives, 
in their lives, we too, we need the baptism. We need the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to become like Jesus in all things. It's not really an optional thing. It's the power of the life. It'd be a little bit like ordering a brand new car from, you know, a dealership and saying, but please leave the motor out. You know, I don't like motors. They're noisy and, you know, you can get hurt around a motor. I wouldn't get much out of that car. Well, our lives, like Jesus' life, are to be powered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. From Luke 4. This week I was meeting with a young man from our church. And I meet with numerous men throughout uh, over the month's time. And um, I, this, this idea kind of came to my mind. Well, uh, imagine that tomorrow morning you go to work in the power of the Holy Spirit. How about tomorrow, you know, we, you, know you can leave behind today, and let's, let's move forward to tomorrow. Tomorrow morning when you get up, I want you to just invite the Holy Spirit to fill you and to empower you and for you to go to work in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I said, what, what, do you think, what do you think that might, would that be any different than how you went to work today? And he was awesome. He said, yeah, like, I'd, I'd probably get along with my coworkers a little better. I, I might not be so distressed when I'm driving. Uh, I might even ha- be able to get more things done. You see, we, we have a dichotomy, in my opinion, that we've talked about a lot, which is sort of the, we, the, the, the language is, you know, there's the spiritual part of our lives, and then there's the rest of our lives. Well, friends, Jesus didn't live in any dichotomy, and we shouldn't either. Last week, we talked about living the with God life. God's intention is for there to be no separation, no time period when he's not with you. And so then if he's going to be with me all the time, maybe I should be with him all the time. That's what I think we see in Jesus' life. I want you to notice that while one could describe both Jesus and the disciples as being passive, in the baptism of the Spirit, I would like to suggest that in the, pa- in the baptism, there is both passivity and activity. In the case of Jesus, he sought out John and asked John to be baptized. Asked that John would baptize him. And when John tried to deter Jesus, essentially saying, hey, no way, you know, you're the man and, you know, you really should baptize me. I don't know that Jesus knew exactly all that was going to transpire in and through that baptism, but he knew he was to participate in this way. And what he said was, no, let us fulfill all righteousness. And in this way, he was active in the baptism. Now, in his actual baptism of the Spirit, 
there was a, a passivity. But Jesus cooperated. He welcomed, he accepted the gift of the Spirit. In the case of the disciples, they were active in following Jesus' directive. He said, wait in Jerusalem, hang out, there's something coming, there's the promise of the Spirit, and you need that to be able to do what I've called you to do and to be who I've called you to be. And what did they do during that time? They just kind of went back to work and hung out and kind of went to the bar after dinner and after work. And no, no. They spent significant time worshiping and praying. They were active. They participated in the waiting. And in that, they were active in this baptism. Now, in the, that actual moment of the baptism of the Spirit, the Spirit coming as a, a rushing wind and as flames of fire, the disciples were passive to a degree, but like Jesus, they still had to be cooperative. They still had to welcome and accept the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, if they got so freaked out, you know, they could have run out of the building and said, I'm done. No thanks, this is too weird. This Holy Spirit stuff's kind of weird sometimes. They had to cooperate. They had to embrace and welcome. And I'd like to encourage any of you who have not had an experience of baptism of the Spirit that it would be a good thing for you to actively pursue, which would look like asking other Christians who have experienced such a baptism to lay hands on you and impart to you the promise of the Father, the baptism is the Spirit. That's what's described in the book of Acts in numerous places. And while you can't make it happen, nor can the person praying for you make something happen, there's a passivity in that, but still there has to be a welcoming, a cooperating, an inviting of the gift and the empowerment of the Spirit. Now, one more thing I, I want to share related to the Spirit's presence in our lives. While the baptism of the Spirit may be a particular one type of initiatory experience, we are commanded by the Apostle Paul to seek ongoing filling of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be being continually filled with the Spirit. The idea here is what is influencing and directing your life. It could be alcohol. It could be other illicit drugs. Or it could be inordinate desire for anything that influences and directs your life that minimizes God in your life, that takes the place or the space. The Apostle Paul is saying here, don't let anything fill and influence your life except the Holy Spirit. The baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit is to increasingly yield
trusting in and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's what Joy was describing. Giving God space, giving Him room to lead, to rule, to have His way in our lives. And in this, we are both active and passive which would look like or could look like assessing or engaging your own life, a review of your habits and lifestyles and patterns, asking God to point out, is there a problem? Are, are there areas in my life, is there an area in my life that has an in, inordinate aspect of directing and influencing me? Games. Movies. All kinds of things. Sleep. Food. So there's an active part, which is to invite God to do a, an assessment, to welcome Him, and then to seek other Christians who have experience in ministry of deliverance and healing to pray for you for the deliverance and the filling, the deliverance from these things and the filling of the Spirit in their replacement. If we simply say, well, God, here I am, have me, and we go off and do nothing about providing space or option for him to do anything, we're not being very participative. We're not being very much, very cooperating very much. And while we cannot make this happen and are in an aspect passive unto God's activity, we have to cooperate. And this is not a one-time thing. Oh, yeah, I've already experienced the, the baptism of the Spirit. I got that back in, you know, 1995. No, this is, this is an ongoing lifestyle of putting off those things that seek to control and direct our lives and to put on the Holy Spirit to replace those things and empower us for becoming like Jesus in all things. So what does being filled with the Spirit look like? What what might we expect its outcome to be? The Apostle Paul describes in Romans 8, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is is life and peace. The flesh, as described here, is what we can do and do do on our own. It is living by or according to our own power and understanding. And the focus of such a person is upon the physical, material world that is seen. And the outcome of that kind of life lived on our own, 
as we think is best, leads to death or perishing, as Jesus called it. The word perish means to rot. Imagine fruit in your refrigerator that you forget about or vegetables you forget about and you're pulling something off one day and all of a sudden there's this soggy mess down in the bottom that's kind of green unless it's red. It perished. It, it rotted. That is the picture of what happens to us when we live our lives on our own according to the ways that we think is best. That's the flesh. The spirit, in contrast, is what we can and do with God. It's living by or according to my action along with God's power and understanding. It's me on the wheel with the brake and the pedal, gas pedal, and God's power to do what I need to do and to get to where I need to go. The focus of such a person is upon this spiritual realm, that which is unseen. And the outcome of this kind of life, according to God, acting with us, is life. Eternal living, as Jesus called it. Does that make sense? I, I, for years, I, I didn't have a what, according to the flesh, according to the spirit. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about eternal living. In fact, both the Gospels and the letters are all talking about the same thing. The empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing the Son. Belief in Christ brings us into the kingdom of God. It's all different metaphors to think about it. Here's another metaphor. I want to describe and talk about, just briefly, the action of grace in our lives, which is a parallel to this idea of being filled with the Spirit. In 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter tells us something very similar to Paul's command for us to be filled with the Spirit. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Does that sound like something we're supposed to do? It does to me. It kind of sounds like I'm supposed to, you know, there's some type of activity. There's something I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to grow. But, you know, I don't, the only way I help my growth is when I eat too much. All right, never mind. So what is grace? We're supposed to grow in grace. What is grace? Well, here in the vineyard, we have spoken of grace as being more than mercy. It's more than just, you know, we get a heaven when we die. As it is often inadequately described. Grace is the empowering presence of God to be all he has called us to be and to do all he has called us to do. But this same thing can be described as being, as God acting in our life to accomplish what we can't accomplish on our own. 
It's the same thing, just a different way. Grace is God acting with us in our life, empowering us to do what we can't do on our own. What is the knowledge of God? Well, the biblical understanding of knowledge here and in almost throughout most of the scriptures is not information. It's it's not knowing about God. The knowledge of God means to know Him in a personal, interactive relationship. Jesus said in John 17, 3, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is the kingdom of God. That is the filling of the Spirit. To know God, to experience God with us and we with Him is what Paul is talking about. So grow in seeking and pursuing to have God increasingly active in our lives. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus, meaning to seek and pursue increasing personal interactive relationship with Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit. And as with the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit, we have a part to play. There is activity and there is passivity. We cannot grow in grace on our own because it's to grow in having God acting in our lives. We cannot grow in knowing Jesus on our own because it has to do with increasing personal relationship with Jesus the Father and the Spirit. So what is our part? How are we to be active in growing in these two ways? If grace is God acting in my life, then What I need to do is to posture myself to be less in control, like what Joy was describing, and to allow God to have more control. In this, I must be be cooperative. I must welcome and be accepting. Our part is to surrender every aspect of our life to the action of God. Our part is to trust God with everything, allowing Him to act and us not to short-circuit the process by taking back control. Our part is to invite God into every circumstance and say, I want to have it your way, God, not my way. And all of this is essentially the part of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. God, I need, I, I want your action. I, God, I want your involvement in my life. I know I can't live this kind of life that you and I both want except that you are acting with me even as I act with you. We must act But the most significant question is, who are we trusting? If we're trusting what we can do, 
we're running our own kingdoms. But if we act with confidence in God and trust Him, then we get to see and experience His kingdom, God acting in and around our life. One of my favorite verses that helps me a lot in this area is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'm concluding with this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. When we trust in and rely on ourselves, we have only our own resources. But when we trust and rely on God with all of our being, then He is freed to act with us. And now we have the resources of God at work. I learned something very meaningful not that long ago about this passage. That word acknowledge in the second sentence is the Hebrew word yada, which means to know. And therefore is saying essentially the same thing that we've just been looking at in other passages. In all your ways, in all your circumstances, in all your relationships, in all your responsibilities, know God. Embrace and welcome interactive relationship with God and He will make your way smooth, straight, and right. He'll give you all the power you need to do what He's going to ask you to do. Be being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Live according to the Spirit. Leaning on, relying on God's activity with you. Grow in grace and interactive relationship with Jesus, the Father and the Spirit. Those are ways that we become like Jesus in all things. And in them, we experience eternal living. We are according to the Spirit with our focus and mind set on the things of the Spirit, not the things of this world. And we live in the kingdom of God. We have been called to live and be like Jesus. And how we do that is just the same way he did. Through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, through growing in grace, God acting with us. And it doesn't matter what the area is. It can be driving to your car. It can be going to the supermarket. It can be helping a friend. It can be praying for somebody who's sick. We need to find what it means to live this with God life and to not have this separation, this dichotomy between sort of my spiritual life and the rest of my life. Let's pray. We need you, Papa. And so right now, I just welcome you to come and fill each of us. Fill us with your spirit again.
Help us to yield to your activity in our lives, to your ways. To living with you instead of on our own. Jesus, thank you for modeling for us what that kind of life looks like. And Holy Spirit, thank you for being the power source that provides the means for this to even be done. Would you help us each day this week to get up and do whatever it is that we are called to do, whether it be going to work, taking care of our family, that we would do it in the power of the Spirit. That we would be those who are according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. That we would be those who learn to rely on you, to trust in you, to act with us. Even as you did with so many of the biblical characters that we're aware. Come Holy Spirit. Come and empower. Come and manifest your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. If any of you would like uh, prayer, uh, we talked about the need for the baptism, the filling of the Spirit, growing in grace, the knowledge of God. We would love an opportunity to pray with you. Maybe you came today and you've been experiencing some struggles in some areas and you just need someone to come alongside. Uh, we would be happy to do that. So thanks for coming. Have a great week. And we'll see you next Sunday. And have a great Thanksgiving. And uh, remember to thank God this week, I guess, right? Bless you.